Well, once again, welcome to worship with us. Thank you for that music band and Adam. It is the last Sunday of the month and also the last Sunday of 2020. Could it come any more quickly? We've all been waiting for the end of 2020, and I think probably we're going to celebrate the new year in a way we've never celebrated it before, with the hope and the promise of things to come, and watching in the rearview mirror, hopefully, that pandemic which has stricken so many disappearing into history. I thought it might be important uh, this Sunday to consider the idea of faith. Faith in the middle of the circumstances we have all been through in this last year. Faith is really essential, especially during difficult times. But sometimes, maybe especially during difficult times, faith can be, well, belittled. And there's probably a good reason for that. I would imagine to some extent it's our responsibility when faith is belittled. Why is sometimes faith belittled? Well, consider our circumstances right now. Where we are, sometimes faith is belittled because of our approach or our statements about faith. Faith isn't to ignore the facts of, say, for instance, a pandemic and trust in God. Faith is trusting beyond things that are visible in the midst of the reality that we live in. We trust in God. Surrounded by the facts of science, surrounded in every way by a pandemic, still we trust in God. There's a phrase that comes from Hebrews chapter 11 at the end of verse 3 that states essentially this. The universe was formed by God's command. To suggest that the universe was formed by God's command is not contrary to science. It's something more than science. Before we continue to think about faith, let me read you the first three verses of chapter 11 in Hebrews. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. There's a variety of translations, as you know, of the Bible, and phrases like that are translated in different ways. One phrase could be translated this way. Faith is the assurance of what is hoped for and the conviction concerning things unseen. Or we might put it this way, faith is being sure of what is hoped for. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and confident 
of what we do not see. A very famous author in New Testament studies is F.F. Bruce. And on one occasion, when thinking about this notion of faith that we just read from Hebrews chapter 11, he put it this way. Faith, by definition, is things in which of themselves have no existence as yet become real and substantial by the exercise of faith. Even though we believe in God and we have faith, even though I would assume as most of you, like me, are devoted to the scripture as very word of God, we must admit that sometimes we stare at those same scriptures that we love and are devoted to and believe to be infallible word of God. And sometimes, even in the face of that truth, we misunderstand because of, because of a point of emphasis. Let me read you one translation again and emphasize a pronoun. Being sure of what we hope for and confident of what we do not see. That pronoun is not improper. But if the pronoun is read in a certain way, the faith becomes all about what we believe and what we hope for. That is not necessarily the intent of this author. As the author goes on to recount, all kinds of people lived by faith not because of what they had conceived of and hoped for, but they based their faith upon the plans and the promises of God. That's sometimes different than what I hope for, but it is biblical faith. What I hope for and trust in is a sovereign God that in the midst of even a pandemic will accomplish his will for God's world and for individuals. I don't know exactly how God will accomplish his will in these circumstances, but I trust and I'm absolutely confident that he has plans and purposes for us that we cannot see. When you consider the idea of faith, a number of things might be helpful to remind ourselves of. Faith, well, it actually begins. Its very essence is to believe in an unseen God. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? Right up front. To believe in something that is unseen, that's invisible, that never shows itself in a material way. Sometimes we think of science and we say, we do trust in invisible things like microorganisms, that organisms that we cannot see, but in a way they're not invisible, are they? 
They're invisible to the natural eye and under a microscope and through research, we come to a conclusion about something that exists beyond our sense of visibility, naturally, but can be zoomed in on. You see, the reality of God is beyond that. You can't zoom in with a microscope closer and closer and find God somewhere in the universe. God is absolutely invisible and unseen, except by faith. We're taught to be skeptics. We're taught to read the fine print. And I think that's a good thing. I must admit, one of my chief characteristics is skepticism. I analyze. I just don't take it on face value all the time. I don't apologize for that. I think it's well-reasoned living. But on the other hand, my skepticism can, if I allow it to, overcome everything that's important in my life, including faith. Jesus seemed to understand the importance of faith without sight. You may remember when Thomas saw Jesus for the first time after the resurrection. He said he wouldn't believe until he could put his finger in the nail prints in Jesus' hand and in his side. And when Jesus appeared to him, he invited him, here's my hand, here's my side. See it and believe, Thomas. And Thomas responded in effect, oh Lord, my God, I see and I believe. You know what Jesus' response to him was? Blessed are you, Thomas. But even more blessed are those who have never seen and still believe. So the beginning of faith is to believe in an unseen God. But the next part of faith is the continuous part. It's to continue to believe in the activity and the promises and the plans of God, which are frequently invisible. God has his own timetable, and it doesn't always match ours. Faith requires us to walk through long periods of silences before we hear God's voice. As a matter of fact, when you read the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 in this hall of faith, you'll hear about all kinds of people who walked by faith but not by sight. And on occasion, we think that the person who is elevated in their understanding of faith has the kind of faith that allows them to hear God at every moment. As if God is constantly speaking to them and reassuring them of every promise Is that really true? Is that strong faith? I don't mean to belittle the voice of God by any means. But on the other hand, when I read the stories in this description of the hall of faith, I I encounter people like Abraham. Abraham, who if we are to look at the revelation in a linear time frame, had revelations from God concerning the birth of Isaac, sometimes 10 years apart. And what did he do during that time? He walked by faith in the silences. 
One author has put it this way. Walking by faith looks like this. Not in unbroken chatter from God, but in episodes of speech punctuated by seasons of silence. Faith is always challenging. If it were not challenging, we would not be growing. If we were static and status quo, our faith would not be strengthened. So God in his blessing sometimes is silent. Not only is the beginning of faith believing in an unseen God and the next step of faith is the challenge that comes with it, the growth that accompanies that belief. But third, we realize that faith, it demands humility. It demands that I say, if I truly have faith, I don't have it all figured out. I don't completely understand. You may remember, at least those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament stories, you may remember the story of Naaman. Naaman was a commander of the king of Aram. And as a commander in the army, he had lots of power. What he didn't have was the power to heal himself. And on one particular occasion, Naaman contracted leprosy. There was no cure for leprosy. The end in sight was, well, it was awful. It was prolonged, and eventually it was death. In this story of Naaman, enter a little servant girl. We don't know her age, but she's described as a young girl perhaps 12. She enters into Naaman's presence on one occasion and says, Sir, I know what the remedy is. I know how you can be healed. There's a prophet in Israel called Elisha, and he speaks to God. If you'll just go to Elisha, and ask him for healing. Perhaps he'll heal you. This is an amazing story, but let me pause to give you a detail that to me seems even more amazing than the miracle. The detail is this. That young girl was taken captive by one of the raids into Israel by Naaman or some other general. She was taken as bounty, living bounty, and she was a slave to Naaman. And even in slavery, her heart was inclined towards goodness and God. Let me admit something. I wonder if you would admit the same thing. If you'd been the young girl, would you have given the remedy to Naaman? 
Faith is essentially linked with love. Love of God and love of others. And she had both. The rest of the story unfolds and Naaman goes to see Elisha. And when he comes to visit Elisha, Elisha says, here is the remedy for your healing. I want you to go to the Jordan River and dip in the Jordan seven times in order to be healed. Naaman leaves Elisha and he scoffs at the very idea. He says to his companions, are you kidding me? We have rivers in our country that are much better than this dirty, muddy Jordan River. Why should I believe that dipping myself into that river is the remedy for my leprosy? One of his servants had enough wisdom to ask a penetrating question, a question that he could have been punished for. But he said to him, sir, If the prophet had asked you to do something that was spectacular, that was noble, that was big, in order to be healed, wouldn't you have done that? Naaman is stricken by the servant's word, and he goes to the Jordan and dips seven times and comes back up in the final time healed of his leprosy. The point, faith demands humility. We have to be honest. When we're called to walk by faith, we're asked to live in such a way that others do not live. We're asked to live according to certain rules that society says are foolish. As a matter of fact, sometimes we're asked to follow God in such a way that society doesn't just disdain. They say is its own form of wickedness. But faith requires us to follow God in frequently a counter-cultural way. Humbly loving the other. Finally, faith is, is absolutely necessary for life. We know this in so many other aspects of our life. We know this in relationships with others. Faith is essential. I've been married to a beautiful woman for a very long time. And she to me. Neither of us ever married to another. And sometimes, sometimes I've paused long enough to think, How much faith has been involved in our relationship? No, I don't mean faith in God and faith in the church. I mean faith in the other. We all experience that if we're going to have a truly meaningful relationship. We invest our faith in another person. We believe in them even though sometimes they hurt or betray us. We believe in them. We have faith. A number of years ago, I I read a book entitled The Call. And The Call asked basically an important question. 
it asks this question. What is your purpose in life? Before I consider some words, a story from the call, let me remind you that the kind of faith that I just mentioned, whether in relationships with individuals and especially relationship with God, it is worth the risk. You know, one reason it's worth the risk is because, let's be honest, your reliability index and my reliability index, well, it's suspect. When you do it your way, when I do it my way, we somehow assume that we're absolutely in control and that somehow we're in charge of our own destiny. We're in charge of our own happiness, our own fulfillment. But how has that worked for you? When you've had faith only in yourself, how has it worked? You probably come up empty. And that's the story of many people's lives. Back to the book named The Call. Oz Guinness writes about a man at a conference that he'd attended who opened with these lines. As you know, said this gentleman, I've been very fortunate in my career. I've made a lot of money, far more than I ever dreamed of and far more than I could ever spend, far more than my family needs. The speaker was a prominent businessman at a conference near Oxford University. The strength and determination and character of this individual showed in his face. But a moment's hesitation betrayed deeper emotions, hidden behind the outward intensity. A single tear rolled down his well-tanned cheek. And then the speaker continued. To be honest, he said, one of my motives for making so much money was simple. To have the money to hire people to do what I don't like doing. But there's one thing. I've never been able to hire anyone to do for me. That is, find my own sense of purpose and fulfillment. I'd give anything to discover that. I want to suggest that true purpose and fulfillment comes when we invest completely our lives by faith in God. Does it mean every moment will be fulfilling? No, of course not. But it does mean that at the heart of our existence, our life is not about ourselves and things. It's about God and others. That's a risk worth taking. 
The second thing that reminds us that it's a risk worth taking, this thing of faith, is that we really shouldn't, we know this, we really shouldn't trust only in what is seen. How many times have your senses failed you? How many times has your logic failed you? How many times has being very judicious with your relationships failed you? Most of the time, the reason that impeccable decisions have not led to satisfactory conclusions is because we have missed something that truly is unseen. That's the way faith is. Faith is a path to a deeper understanding. It's not contrary to reality. It's a deeper understanding of reality. So why trust only what is seen? Allow faith to be your challenge for life. Allow faith to constantly nudge you to trust God and to listen for God. You know as well as I do that sometimes God allows adversity in our lives, well, to shape us. In other words, sometimes God actually places it in our lives to shape us. And when that happens, as it has in 2020, I suggest that, among other things, it's an opportunity to listen for the voice of God. In other words, as you reflect on this year and the losses and the heartache and the loneliness and the desperation, ask yourself this question. In the midst of these circumstances, what have I learned about God and myself? Surely, there's something to be found there that was not found in 2019. Because adversity drives us, if we're people of faith, to God himself. In just a moment, uh, Brian is going to lead us in a song that is very well known. It's a Christmas song written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow entitled, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. You may know the background of that song, but perhaps you don't or you just need a reminder. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was not a songwriter, but a poet. And he penned the words as a poem in the face of two incredible losses. He penned these words in 1863, which, if you know your history, was right in the middle of the Civil War. He penned these words while he was nursing back to health his son who went off to the war and had been injured. And he penned these words just two years after his wife had died in an accidental fire. And with all the surroundings of the war 
and all the loss that he felt from his wife being absent on Christmas Day, he penned these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought I now, as day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. This stanza is one you've probably never heard because it's not in most musical renditions. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. My friends, whatever your circumstances, those words are still true. Hear the bells. Trust the words of God. Remember the entrance of God into our human situation. Never forget the promise of the resurrection. Hold firm to the future that God will eventually make everything new. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and walk by faith. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. That you came once as a baby, defying all the reality of this earth. And you, in the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, walked in our place, suffered through our circumstances, and understood deeply as a human, but also deeply as fully God, the 
the sufferings of humanity. And Lord, as the writer of the book of Hebrews says, because of that, we have a great high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmity because he went through it all. But Lord, there's more. There's a promise that we hold on to by faith. That because on the third day you rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, that we too will rise again. That we too will be with you. That those who have, as Paul said, fallen asleep in Christ will someday be raised. And the promise the book of Revelation that we have considered this whole semester rings true. One day a new heaven and a new earth will descend and everything will be made new. We long for that paradise restored. We long for every tear to be wiped from our eyes. And until that day, Lord, give us faith because that faith is our life. These things we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.